Good morning. What the fuck is up, everybody? Kyle here. I am in Santa Cruz, California, with a strong cup of coffee in my hand, and I am witnessing my housemate do squats in my backyard, which is inspiring. Hey, I had an idea for the podcast, and I'd love to get your feedback on it. I'd like to start playing a song at the end of each episode to give you a little bit of breathing room between this show and the next activity in your day. So if you are a musician and you want me to play one of your tunes, send it over to me. I'll give you credit, and I'd love to get it out there. You can head over to my website, kyle.surf, to get in touch with me. Not kyle.surf.com, just kyle.surf. And if you want to donate to the podcast, you can go there also. I pick three donors every single month. Even if you're donating just a few bucks, you could win gear from any of my surf sponsors, including Patagonia Provisions, RPM Fitness, and Sector 9 Skateboards. So you could donate five bucks and a skateboard could be sent to your door. This episode is with Jerry Powell, and it is the third in a trifecta of psychedelic-focused, psychedelically-psychedelic-focused podcasts. The first was with Dr. Jeff McNary, who is the head doctor at Rhythmia, which is the first medically licensed ayahuasca treatment center in the world. The second episode is with Nicole Rager, who does uh, transformational breath work, which can get you into some highly psychedelic states without the use of any substances. And this final episode is with the founder of Rhythmia, Jerry Powell, a man who has had a fascinating life. He made about $94 million from... Uh, owning the largest plastic surgery company in the world at one point. He became addicted to Demerol. Uh, He had issues with alcoholism. He then came across an African psychedelic called Iboga, which um, got him off of those drugs. He then uh, started Rhythmia. Uh, so it's, I won't give too much away, but it's a, a wild story, and I was really happy to sit down with him. He is an honest guy who has done a lot of work on himself. All right. Um, once again, get in touch with me at my website, kyle.surf, or Instagram, or wherever, and please welcome my man, Mr. Jerry Powell. Kyle Cameron here. I'm in Cape Town. I was the only journalist in northern Nigeria. Not an adventure until you get lost in Tijuana. You get caught inside by a giant wave, you feel really alone. I love the adventure of waking up and not knowing what will happen and that being my job. I'm standing at a desert oasis right now. A lot of tourists don't see this part of Bali. Smiles and thumbs up. Thumbs up. How do you think most people would describe you? As somebody that uh, was super challenged in life and that um, is doing his best to to heal himself, I would say that's what they would say. Yeah? Yeah. How are you challenged? I'd, uh, I was brought up in a, a pretty violent uh, household and I ended up, you know, not being able to learn properly in school. I had ADAD. ADHD and ADD. 
What's the uh, difference? I think one is a hyper component, and I had that that component, so uh, so I had both. But um, and I ended up getting kicked out of all the schools by me, and so I, I was in the world without a high school diploma, and then I ended up going to jail for for a bunch of stuff, and then uh, got out of there and just became an addict who who got addicted to making money. And, uh, you know, because of that start, I had a really rough, rough time, like a very heartbreaking time. Where did you, no worries. Uh, where did you grow up? In Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. And did you, what did you go to jail for? I actually was, uh, arrested for seven different crimes and I committed them all. And, uh, I was in jail for, a period of time waiting trial because I couldn't make bail and I ended up getting acquitted from everyone and I was guilty of them all. So when I got out, I said, you know, I want to do something with my life. And at the time, because I really uh, didn't have a background where I, I understood who I was or anything like that. So I was, I was sort of just, well, the only thing that made sense to me was if I could make money, that meant that I was doing good somehow. Right. And I decided to, to try to make money. Were you good at making money? I was okay at it. I got, I got, I got pretty good at, at that. Part. What, um, what skills do you have that made you good at making money? I was a good uh, self-taught finance guy and a self-taught uh, administration guy, self-taught marketing guy, and and so that all those skills. Uh, came into play in in the money making arena. Right. What do you think were some of those big skills that behooved you? Uh, that that I could do those things. I could, I could. A lot of there's a lot of entrepreneurs that are heavy in one side. They're either finance guys or or marketing guys or sales guys or admin guys. You know, professional managers and and but very rarely do all of them come in one. Right, and you can see the whole ecosystem. And I could, I and, could do it all and get into the detail. And right. you're, a, you're a conduit between yeah, all and, of them. And I was self-trained, so I could I could actually rip into uh, the accounting side of it. and Right, see stupidity and do when it, it was there. Yeah, and do it, like do it. So it was uh, because, I didn't, because I wasn't uh, formally trained in any of them, I came up with my own hybrid of, of, of what they're to be, and uh, how'd you first start making money? What uh, industry owned, did you get into? I was in the resort timesharing industry, and I uh, I ended up running a timeshare resort at a very young age in in uh, Australia, and then <clears throat> I got into the land development business in the United States, and and had a company that was in like three or four states, and you know decent sized company, and got bought out of that, then. Believe it or not, I got into the plastic surgery business, and and I started out with one center, and within a few years, I had 143 centers. Damn! So, like we were the biggest in the world at that. And, wow! Uh, Did that start out in LA? No, it started in New York. New York. Yeah, New York. New How'd you get into plastic surgery? I had a friend when I was in the building business. I had a friend who was a plastic surgeon in New Jersey, and. Uh, I was always intrigued with the business side of that business and and I got close to his business and I could see how 
how wrong these businesses were being run. And I believed it. So I finally, he, he introduced me to some people and I, <clears throat> you know, I, I worked out a deal to get three centers and, you know, test my theories. And I was right. And I thought I'd just start buying these things up. I had sold a, a larger land development company and uh, I started buying them up and, and, Proved true, so we wound up in thirty-five states. Wow! What were um, the what was the theory that proved to be true? That 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 they didn't use data properly, so everything was was uh, was conjecture. Honestly, you know that this is how we do it. No why behind it, but this is how we do it. And it's amazing how much of life goes on with those uh, crazy those stuff, lack right? of questions. Yeah, the questions just don't get asked, right? Right. And so we would pull those questions apart and 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 advertise under one one theme, one umbrella. And what was that theme? Uh, it was actually a discounted. We were the first one to commoditize plastic surgery, so we would be like package prices for. You know procedures, so they turn into commodities. We commoditized the a cottage industry, right, and then just threw it all together. Yeah, but uh, <clears throat> it was a great time of learning for me, and and and, and I wound up uh, addicted to prescription Demerol. That's oh wow! How, how that the climax. That and was. do you prescribe Demerol to patients after plastic surgery? During, during, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, and what does Demerol do? It uh. It's very similar to heroin. It's okay. a super clean heroin. People, um, do people get d- prescribed heroin in traditional um, rehab centers? No, like they get the Demerol. Uh, is, yeah, is to usually, get off of heroin? Or no, no? They, okay. that's, there's tons of uh, those, other. But this is yeah. just like if you're going to get anesthetized. So like usually it's, it's Demerol, Propofil, and Varset that they'll give you to to have a procedure. Right, right. And it's just this Numb, really floaty, beautiful feeling, right? And numbs you as, out. As soon as I caught that, I, I loved it, you know? Yeah. And because I owned all these centers, it was easy for me to get to get this stuff. And next thing you know, I was addicted to it, and I was, well, I was an alcoholic, <clears throat> uh, addicted to Demerol, loved cocaine, loved women, loved a- anything in excess, right? Uh, my friends would call me uno mas, one more of everything, right? One more, one more, one more. I was nuts. And I had sold I had sold my plastic surgery company. I was 41, and I sold it good. I sold it for like about 94 million bucks, you know, and I just real quick. And uh, uh, one sale was out of it. But my life was a wreck. I had a terrible, terrible, terrible existence as a, you know, an alcoholic, a drug addict, a, a terrible human, a very obnoxious, not nice guy to be around guy. <laughs> well, can you give me an example <laughs> of that? Like, uh, <clears throat> I was constantly very condescending, know it all My energy was so bad. I would walk in a place. I would, I would wear all kinds of jewelry and drive Ferraris and like just, just bad energy guy. And, uh, I wound up actually going to Malibu to an addiction center in Malibu. And, and for six years I struggled with, with like licking these addictions. I went to 
uh, a psychiatrist for the first time in my life. I went and I experienced some metaphysical teachings, which I never knew before. And six years into that of, of full time, like really full time, as a matter of fact, a, a guy that, you know, Dr. Jeff. Yeah. Yeah. I hired him full time from passages to be my full time psychologist. I was in five days a week, eight hours a day of, uh, of, of psychological help for five years. Wow. So like, in it, in it, in it. So you would sit down with him and eight hours a day, eight hours. A day. Yeah. <laughs> what, yeah. uh, what did those sessions sound like? It sounded like the same thing over and over again is what it sounded like for him. I'm surprised he didn't commit suicide during those things too. Cause usually you can change the scenery with different clients. Right. And he just had me. Right. I'm surprised he didn't want to kill me. Like kill me, you know? sure. Absolutely kill me, you know? Oh uh, yeah. Uh, take, would probably take one patient yeah. guy. My God. He's a, that's why he surfs. You right. Know? Cause he just has to get it out, you know? But, uh, and so even with all that, I couldn't get happy. I just couldn't, I didn't understand the concept of what, what happy was. I couldn't piece it together, you know? So I, uh, one thing led to another and I was in, I was in the Philippines and, uh, a lady said to me who, who I knew from New York, she, she was going to the Philippines and she, she saw me on Facebook. This is the beginning of Facebook that I was there. And she said, Hey, I'm going to be doing this no speak retreat in a city called Cebu. She said, do you, do you mind if I stop in on you for a couple of days? I'm like, sure. And she said, she said, I knew a guy who was just like you, Jerry. And I thought that's bullshit because nobody's this fucked up. Right. You know, <laughs> that's really what I thought. Right. And she said, and, uh, he went to Costa Rica and this, this dude did this medicine and he came back and he was a, a different guy. <clears throat> and I thought it's probably bullshit, but I'll try it. So I, I came to Costa Rica and I, I, I did this plant medicine and it was craziest time of my life. And the, the next day, uh, the result of me doing this medicine, I was taken to all over the universe and put in the moon and the moon ended up giving me a new heart, as crazy as it sounds. And I, I got this heart and I came back the next day to earth and I was a different guy and it, truly different. Like I, uh, I never did Demerol. I never, I, I used to drink about, well, two bottles of wine and then some drinks in a day, you know, like uh, that was an average day. When did you start drinking? Oh, uh, in the day. Uh, around noon. I was a noon, noon guy. Yeah, it's five o'clock somewhere. <laughs> One of those that, guys. That <laughs> kind of thing, I'm yeah. sure you loved that saying. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, but I went from, from really needing these things to not needing them overnight. And I thought, this stuff is amazing. I have to do something about it. So yeah. were you addicted to Demerol when you went down no, uh, and, I, and used ayahuasca for your first time? I was actually past the Demerol, but I was still uh, like a two bottle of wine a day guy with five or ten mixed drinks thrown in there. So I was a professional drinker. I wasn't working and I was living in... You sounded very good at it. <laughs> yeah, it was really good and I, I loved what I was doing. I hated it actually, but right. it was just this grind. And, uh, you know, I came back, I was smoking three packs of cigarettes a day, uh, you know, drinking that much, doing cocaine all the time. I was always in strip clubs. I was always in seedy places, like just terrible life, right? And uh, And yet I was financially 
solvent as a right okay shape yeah there were a lot of uh external factors to for you to be able to stroke your ego yeah absolutely like that i was right too about everything you know that yeah I was right you know um what do you think you were searching for that led you to become an addict well here's what was interesting in that in that the the first journey that i had it took me back to when the I first was, ayahuasca journey it was actually Iboga. Iboga. Iboga journey, yeah. Right. And it, <clears throat> it took me back to when I was three years old and I watched a video, like a real video, that I was in. It was an interactive video. So I was watching it, but I was in it kind of thing. And I watched my grandfather, who was an alcoholic, uh, sexually molest me. And nobody ever knew about it. And I actually watched it in real time. Like it was real, real, real. As real as I'm looking at you. Real. Holy shit. Yeah. And so did you have a conscious memory of that happening no, at, but at the time? A conscious memory of everything else around it. It's crazy. It was like everything else around it but that. It is just amazing. Like what? Like I remember my aunt sitting at that table. I remember all this stuff that happened in this in this moment, you know? And uh But your brain somehow compartmentalized it into three. space. Yeah. As three. I don't right? remember anything yeah. from when I was three. That's crazy because I do it's in, the thing is when I was watching it, I re remembered it. I remembered that I remembered. Yeah. And I was like, Oh my god. Even juice spills on the wall that I did, just crazy things as as, as a kid. What was really amazing to me is that uh, that these eyes and all of our sensory uh uh uh, pieces of us are constantly collecting data and that data is verbatim when when it's you have everything that's ever happened to you in you it's crazy how wild that is to me you know and so uh when i saw that i was relieved because it explained to me why i was the way i was with women why I couldn't, I never, I always felt like I was a weird person, like I wasn't normal, something was wrong with me. Uh, even if I was with a bunch of people, which I was always the center of, like, whatever, I was loud and fucking obnoxious, of course you're going to be, people aren't going to show up, right? Making it rain at strip clubs. Yeah, exactly, you know, like, yeah, people right. are going to show up for that guy, even if they want to hate him, you know, yeah. be around. And uh, and I always wondered why that was. And then in one second, I got it. I understood it all. And uh, I broke down. Not not crying over what my grandfather did, but crying over how that affected the rest of my life and made my life this hell, this strange kind of hell. And from the next day on, and this is the truth, I didn't want to smoke. I didn't want to drink. I didn't want to, and yet I could. It's, it was a different, whole different thing. I could... Uh, have uh, a couple of wines, not 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 an alcoholic's couple of wines, but truly I can go out and have a stay or have a, a dinner and have a, a glass of wine and not want another wine. Wow. Yeah. Because that's, that's the thing with addicts is that they <clears throat> yeah. think, oh yeah, I could just have one now. I've been yeah. eight years sober and then they have one and they relapse. The yeah. Wow. Well, this is the thing because when, when I saw what happened to me, and then I was given a brand new heart. I was no longer an addict. I was just a person. So the next day, I was human. And it was the first day in my life that I that I was human. And I was a real human being. I, was, uh, I had feelings. And I, I cared about 
the outcome not only of my own shit but of the people shit that I was affecting right. I cared about their outcomes I, I was in community I was a I was a part of it for the first time that I could ever remember in my whole life I felt human so this Iboga trip um, both took you to the situation with your grandfather uh-huh. and it also took you into another vision uh, where the moon was involved is that yeah, correct yeah. can you take me into that story yeah sure so uh, after that you know the the way that this particular medicine works is you write down questions you give it to the the shaman and then the shaman has you blindfolded and when you're conversing with whatever you're conversing with you have to say your he reads you your question so you have a tape writer going going so your question my first question was why am i so fucked up and and the answers you have to 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 tell the shaman what they're saying so the whole thing gets recorded so after your 10 questions are done you know my 10 questions are done he said well i said what should i do now because i'm still high i'm still in the middle of this universe i'm seeing the universe for the first time in real what it really is what the universe is and i'm in awe clearly and he said go back to the moon and i went to the moon and and I, i said well first he sent me to my grandfather the grandfather that had molested me and I said to him I said what what he I said what should I tell him he said ask him what he's going to do for you I said what are you going to do for me and my grandfather said nothing and and he said what he say I said he said nothing he said ask him again and and I said what are you going to do for me because you ruined my life and he told me to get fucked so he said, what did he say? He said, he said, nothing again. <laughs> he didn't want to help, you know. And uh, we went back and forth a couple of times. And then I went to, he said, go to the moon and explain to the moon what happened to you. And I said, Mrs. Moon, this is what happened to me. And I didn't get even three three words out. And she just knew what happened, of course, right? And and I knew what to do. And I, I jammed my fingers into my chest. And I pulled open my 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 cavity and I went in and I picked my own heart and it was like a piece of coal it was like a porous uh, pumice stone painted black just felt like it it had no real weight and it had it was black and shitty and da 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 and at this point the moon has hands you have to bear with me sort of like hamburger helper moon and uh, and, uh, I gave her the the heart and she cleaned it up and she handed it back to me and I said, I said to the shaman, I said, what should I do with this? And he said, put it in your chest, man. So I, 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 went, <laughs> Quick. <laughs> I went to put it in my chest and I looked at it and it turned black again. And I was like, this is the first time in that journey I was afraid. Number one, I'm on the moon. Number two, my heart's out of my body and it ain't good. So I'm, I'm thinking, well, this is how this one ends. I was, you know, I, I, the newspaper will say I went to Costa Rica and you know, took some plant medicine and died. So I figured this is it. It's over. This is how it ends. And then I said, this guy's name was Muganda. I said, Muganda, what should I do? Because I'm screwed here. And he said, ask the moon for a new heart. So I said, Mrs. Moon, would you give me a new heart? And without a blink of an eye, she whipped out a brand new, beautiful, red, beating, pulsing, slippery heart and put it in my hand. And I put that right in my chest and that was like the start of it all. That the next day is a different guy. When you um, 
take me into that room because it, it, are you laying down and the shaman is right there next yes. to you and you're blindfolded and and he, you are talking to the shaman yeah you're talking to the shaman okay and then you're also talking to whatever is, is on there. the other side that you're seeing yeah um and have you used iboga since yeah yeah i did a lot of it uh, I, well because I, I i've from what i've heard that it is that um it tends to not be an enjoyable experience for a lot of people because a lot of people who, who use iboga are addicts and they're trying to get over their addiction. So yeah. they're looking at these very um, traumatic experiences throughout their life like it's a movie. That's not the first time that I've yeah. I've heard that. Yeah, it's wild. It's wild. How would you compare iboga to ayahuasca? What's interesting is the iboga is the one who told us to use ayahuasca to have this done for people because... Ayahuasca does the same thing in a gentler way. So the, the aboga uh, <clears throat> is for, and this is just, a, I hate making a blanket statement, but if you were a pretty heavy-duty addict, then uh, aboga is a very male plant, so it, it's sort of in your face. This is what you should do. This is how you should do it, da-da-da-da, where ayahuasca is a female plant, and it comes at you from a completely different standpoint. So with a boga, there's a tremendous amount of physical uh, things that your body goes through on a boga. So, so if you're really not tough, it's really not a good thing for you to do. And I don't mean tough like as a badge of honor. I mean, if you're not ready or willing to go through one hellish night for most people, a real night of hell. Uh, it's not a it's not a good thing. So it's overkill for a, a lot of people that don't have they're not in that situation. But if you are, it's the best thing in the world, absolute best thing. How long do the psychedelic journeys last on a boga? Depending on how much you take, anywhere from eight hours to three days. So it can be. If you get off on the wrong foot, it can be a, it can be a long few yeah, days. Yeah. You, you want to be in company of a good crowd on that for that three yeah, days. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For it's, real. Not, it's not exactly a Thursday night. Uh, not at all. <laughs> it's a Thursday night medicine with a glass of wine and some friends around the campfire. <laughs> not that. It's not that one, you know. And are there a lot of uh, physical um, shifts as well? Vom- oh vomiting, God, yeah. shaking. Tons of vomiting, you know, for most people. Not... Not like in ayahuasca, you, you, you do see people vomit, uh, but they're generally quick vomits like this. So I've seen people throw up a hundred times in a night. Like it's, 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 it's real. So did it take one uh, Iboga journey for you to get over your addiction? Yeah, I was done after one. You were done after one. Yeah, most people are. Yeah. And there were no withdrawal symptoms from none alcohol? None. At all, none. And this is a consistent result for people. Pretty much the norm. Which in the Western scientific world um, sounds impossible because our bodies get physically addicted to these substances. Uh. Do you have any theories on how that works? I do have a theory, but it's unproven theory. Right. Yeah, because I've listened to other podcasts where they talk about Iboga and the top people in in the world say we don't really know. Yeah. how these um the lack of withdrawal symptoms after the fact work so so if you think of it in this way because i have to think of things in very simplistic um a manner so that i can get my hands around it but if an event happened in your life that caused you 
to like heroin and post that event you actually had a physical addiction to the heroin if you change the nature of the event they seem like they're all separate things but they're really not everything's connected in this one band and you change the nature of the event then it changes your response to the heroin which changes your addiction so it's just like a band that every and, and what's crazy is the more you do these plant medicines, but specifically ayahuasca, aboga, San Pedro, the, these teaching plants, the more you can see the connectivity of all things. So, so you can actually look at a situation in your life when you're, let's say, on ayahuasca, and you say, oh, I know. Yeah, the reason that I kicked that dog when I was 21 was because my uncle... Uh, slapped me when I was an infant at at six months and you can piece it together you could never logically piece this together in any other way but in that moment it's crystal clear and super connected right and just the knowledge of it heals it for you just the knowing it do you know what happens on a neurochemical level I really okay. don't uh, the thing is that I, I know that there's this this uh that these events form this neuropathways when then there's plasticity yes. in them because the event is so traumatic and and when you take the medicine it goes around that and so it it creates these new pathways i don't know specifically how but i do know this this is what's crazy with it that that dog that you kicked who bit you first who for the rest of your life you've been afraid of dogs let's say that you do this medicine and for all of a sudden the whole thing comes together you see that it was your fault not the dogs and and so that got rewired and the next time you see a dog everything is perfect and you're not your heart rate doesn't go up for anything but what's interesting is that for some reason that in that bag that was the problem with the dog you also got cut off driving to work and you're no longer pissed at the guy who cut you off there there was other shit in that bag there were, there were things that right. that were around that that you have no idea of that your mother calls and at a bad time and usually you shut her down and all of a sudden you got no beef with it and you're thinking how the hell could that happen because it has nothing to do with the dog but it works and so that new pathway is being used by other emotions like it's it's crazy how that works do you know what i mean by that? i do i yeah. do um one definition of success that i've always liked is um one's ability to truly change themselves in this lifetime uh-huh. yeah. and i'd be curious to know from you someone who has changed in such um a dramatic and profound way how much do you think of us our being here is through discovery created from discovery along this lifetime and how much do you think of it is created from the point that we are born Mm -hmm. i believe that you probably carry some stuff into this into this journey right uh like you got extreme athletes have a particular thing that comes from somewhere that you know that that's probably half nature half nurture kind of thing right it's a perfect storm that creates someone that loves to do whatever that is whether it's ride waves or jump out of buildings or 
you know, whatever the thing is, right? It's a perfect storm. It's probably not one thing. It's a combination of things. And I think an understanding, if if the goal of this thing, if it is like, uh, if the goal of this, and I say that with an if, is to discover your true self and expand in that process, right? If that's the goal, then then that seems more to be an experiential thing. Uh, that's why... Uh, that's why people continue to jump out of planes. That's why guys continue to shoot up heroin. That's, you know, that's whatever the thing is, right? There's a reason. There's something driving it. And then it's getting that understanding and then being able to enjoy the thing for what it is for the first time. It's that experience that you go through, right? Right. That's a good answer. Yeah. Okay. I like that. Huh. Still mulling it over in my <laughs> mind. <laughs> Me too. I don't know. I took a shot. You know? Right. No, it's great. It's great. A lot of... Um, you know, it's it does seem magical to be able to have one aboga journey change completely, um, and a lot of people talk about ayahuasca in that same way. It was, yep. it was one night, yep. and it produced results of ten years of therapy, yep. right? Um, but I I am of the belief that a lot of learning happens during the experience, but then almost as much happens after the experience. Absolutely. Um, and I have met people who claim to have done a lot of ayahuasca, um, and they still really seem like they're not willing to, um, change their habits after the fact. Um, can you talk about from, from your experience, what habits you had to, to shift and, um, the best techniques that you learned to, to, to show up differently uh-huh. um, in the world after the fact. So I think that because I know people that have done tons of ayahuasca that have not changed from the first time that they did it other than uh, their speak has changed some, you know, but but the way that this the way that this works, unless you're willing to see yourself that you won't see yourself. Right. Unless you're willing to see yourself, unless you come to the medicine as a child, like there's some great things in the Bible. There really are some great things. And some of the, the, the best pearl ever is that when Jesus said, come to me as children, you know, and that's the medicine is calling you to come as a child. So what does that mean? That means that you come without a story that, that for this four hours, you're who you are without a story. You're just a name with no history. And when you come to the medicine like that as a, a clean slate, it's going to show you who you are. And when it shows you who you are, it's going to, to heal the parts of you that are unhealed. Now, you can leave that. You can, you can, there's two ways to screw this up because people say you can't screw up doing ayahuasca. And I say you can. You can screw anything up, right? So how do you screw it up? Number one is you come with your story. That's the first way. Then it, it won't show you anything other than with what you're comfortable in seeing. If this is my story and I'm a bad guy because of this, it's just going to reinforce that because the medicine has to honor your intention. So <clears throat> when you come without a story, an opportunity happens. And the opportunity is basically show me my shadow. And it will. It'll show you those the dark and prickly parts that you weren't comfortable with. Then armed with that, it's going to heal that. And now you come back to the world a new person, but it's you're 100% at choice. So tomorrow, the next day, you can say, hey, what, the reason most people don't, that, that don't get healed 
or say that they didn't get healed is they got healed and then that next day they decided they were comfortable with their old self. And so you can see that where where people really had this experience that night and then two days later they're doing what they used to do because uh, they chose to, that they're still at choice. It's still a, a choice and, and for a lot of people being not screwed up is a scary thing because they've been screwed up for so long. So they have no skills in it. And right. there's, there's ways to a place like the place we started actually is it's people think, oh, it's about ayahuasca. And it's really not. It's about taking the lessons of ayahuasca and applying them to your life. That's that's the challenge. You know, anybody can sit in the closet and drink ayahuasca and they're going to have some kind of experience. I don't recommend it, but <laughs> I don't recommend it either. But, but, uh, <laughs> do you ever see the YouTube video of the guy who takes LSD, uh, and locks himself in a closet and has a tape recorder? And then the, um, there's an animator who, who basically recreates the scene. He's like, <laughs> he's like, you know, he has this <laughs> Boston accent. He's like, lighthouses rule. I'm in here just going crazy. <laughs> and he does all these. And he's just, I forget all of the things that he says, but he just takes you into all of these different worlds and the animator takes you right there with him. How crazy. It's yeah. funny I, one. I love that stuff. Um, another thing that I just thought of, have you ever heard of a book called The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg? No. I think you would really enjoy it. Um, it was one of the most helpful books I've ever read. And, and um, the basic story of it is that most of the decisions that we're making throughout our day are not conscious, right? The decision Fact. of if we put our right shoe on before our left shoe, um, that is something that's just going on based out of habit. Um, the way that we turn our car on and pull out of the driveway, we tend to not really be conscious of. Right. Have you ever uh, gotten in your car, you drive to work, and you don't really remember Absolutely. all of the turns that you made, yes. right? And that really helps us because it make it allows our cognitive power to be used on the decisions that really matter. Um, one theory is that we have a hundred decisions throughout our day. It doesn't matter how big or how small, but after those hundred decisions, our willpower goes down, and that's why we tend to make our worst decisions at night uh -huh. right? after a after a big hard day. Oh god, yeah, all right, I could really use a drink right now, uh -huh. and that's because our willpower wanes throughout the day, right? So as much as possible, if we can engineer our day uh, with good habits, yeah, uh, then we um, can use our cognitive power on the best habits. Yeah, I believe that. I'd love to get the book, honestly. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think that you'd really enjoy it. Um, one of the premises of it is that um, we make a lot of decisions in our lives because um there's the habit and then there's the reward at the end of the habit mm -hmm. and that doesn't and that could be we work out and then the reward is feeling good and vital at the end of that workout um but it could also be the habit of smoking a cigarette or taking a drink and it's an unhealthy habit but we still get the reward so it's much more effective when we're trying to change our habits not to try and just quit outright, right. but to attach a different reward to an activity, right? Um, so an example of that would be um, if you are trying to stop smoking cigarettes, um, it's much more effective to, when you want to pull out that cigarette, pull out a piece of gum, uh -huh. right? Rather than just saying, I'm not going to pull out that right. cigarette right, right. now. 
Um, but it was it it changed my life um, in a really big way. And now I have changed some habits and built them up in a way where um, it becomes easy. Uh-huh. And then all of a sudden, you're doing all these things that are good for yourself because you've you've changed the habit and the reward that's associated with it. Uh-huh. Um, but it's it's very pragmatic, very helpful. And um, after my ayahuasca journey the other night, um, one of the uh, one of the to do lists uh, items that I wrote down during the journey was um, to turn my lights off at night because I've been having a hard time uh, coming up with ideas recently, uh-huh. film and storytelling. And I, I think that it's because I've been so much in a conscious um, kind of bright light state from the moment that I wake up to the moment that I go to sleep um, and putting my phone away a couple hours before bedtime, bedtime yeah. uh-huh. and turning the lights down. Um, and using candlelight was one of the the insights that I ah, wrote down and then journaling on paper. Uh, I think I told you earlier that one uh, really surprising thing that happened to me while I was on my journey was that I would I would write down a question and then my hand would answer the question for me. Uh-huh. But that but those were some of the answers that I had. And in the um, the last couple nights, I um, I pulled my phone out right before right before bed and. I was conscious and aware that, oh, damn it, you're pulling out your phone uh-huh. now, right? So I, I, that was good that I got that insight, but I then realized that I needed to change a habit around it. To so, fix it. Yeah, yeah, so I'm still figuring out that. Interesting. But the Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. I'm going to get it. Yeah. For real. You dig it. It's, yeah. it's a well-written book, and it um, it goes into all these these great stories throughout, uh, throughout history from... Um, everyday habits to big movements and how they were created based on habit. One was that in um, the early 1900s, there was um, a dental, um, uh, it was the, the, we declared it, I believe it was something like a state of emergency that our dental um, hygiene was so poor. So the government put a ton of money into uh, figuring out how we could get people to brush their teeth right because no one it wasn't a habit for people so um there were all these different programs going on and the one that stuck was a program where a guy invented i don't know if it was a guy might have been a girl (laughs) trying to change that but uh someone uh discovered that if you make the sudsy feeling that we now have in toothpaste Uh right that the 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 foamy feeling it feels good for people Uh right it's this little reward attached to the toothpaste Uh and it'll make us want to brush our teeth and that shift was major Hmm. in popularizing brushing our teeth uh, in the 1900s amazing yeah anyway um so now take me to how you had the idea to build Rhythmia. Well, the, the thing there was that I, uh, after that first journey, I realized that I had to do this thing for people, that this really had to get done because, you know, I asked more questions of the, of the aboga and all people in some, or to some degree, were in the same situation that I was in. All people to some degree, whether they're addicted to work or their kids' basketball games or any form of distraction, because what it explained to me was this is that that 
uh, at some point between conception and about five years old, all of us are designed to split. We're all designed to leave our wholeness uh, out of safety. So for me, having my grandfather sexually molest me at three was enough for me to say, okay, it's no longer safe to be me. So I have to become something else in search for safety. And that all people, the human condition is that you're designed to do that so that you can expand in this lifetime. So you're designed to split. And, and you've been perfect all along though. That's not what people. And, uh, and so that we're all designed to do this thing, to have this split and, and this, this, what's interesting is that that subconscious, the one that turns the keys, beats your heart, uh, makes your bowels move all, all these different functions in us, right. That, that, you know, catches the ball, of the left hand side, like that, these autopilot things are greatly affected. So when this split comes and occurs, uh, your the, the message that you sent to your subconscious is I'm not enough. So what's interesting is if I wasn't enough, then the subconscious, like, like a GPS or an autopilot, uh, is running in the background all the time. And if our conscious thought is, Hey, I want to walk by the bar. As soon as we take that thought off, I want to walk by the bar, not in it. Uh, I want to walk around the bar. As soon as we take that to, Hey, that's a pretty girl. All of a sudden, next thing you know, our autopilot takes over and we're in the bar. So, so what, what's interesting with this process is that, that if the autopilot is that I'm not enough, then, then, and you haven't, you haven't yet, uh, saw yourself in the truth of who you are. You haven't seen that yet. Then the events that occur in your life, uh, the same person will keep showing up with a different face, the, like the, the same business issue comes up and it keeps continuing to come up, although it's wrapped differently. The fight with your mother that you've been having for 30 years just changes texture it's still the same fight like this all this these things keep showing up the same but once once we see who we've become and we agree to merge our souls back with us again then the message we send to the subconscious is we are enough and that's why if you see basketball players the guy gets a contract for 15 million dollars a year and everything looks great and then next thing you know uh the nanny's pregnant uh, he wrecked his car into because it all has to balance into I'm not enough. So until that's fixed, the the autopilot keeps taking us back to uh, the thing where we say we're not enough. And that's why in that journey with me that my soul actually made me, made me take it with me for the rest of my life uh, and listen to it if I was in conflict with me or it. And so that was the way it, it fixed it. And I, I got to remerge my soul that night. I was remerged. I became out and I thought, God, I have to do this for other people because, you know, at that time I had enough money that I didn't need more money and, uh, money isn't the answer to anything, to any, to any one thing. I've never seen it work. Not once have I seen it work in someone's life. Not once have I seen it you mean to dealing with our own issues, uh, yeah, right? Yeah, unto itself, it's nothing. As a matter of fact, it's the it's the great magnifier. 
So if you're a little fucked up, get a bunch of money. You'll be hugely fucked up. Right? Like that's it. Right. So. I, I think Steve Jobs said, uh, add more people to an inefficient system and it'll just make it worse. Absolutely. Right. And that's it. You're just, you're just going to break deeper. Right. But, uh, but why we had to do it is, is because this was happening all over. And there were so many people in a quiet form of desperation that things were okay enough that they weren't killing themselves and okay enough that they weren't full on alcoholics, but they're, they're 41 years old and they think they have low T and now they're, they're taking testosterone because they think that's the answer. And now they're just a unhappy guy with a heart on. Like it's like, it doesn't help anything really. Like we're, we're looking all these places like the, uh, you know, I'm in my 55th relationship and it ended, just ended the same way the last 54 did. Like the universe keeps pointing to us that there's this problem. And this was a way of fixing it for those people who really wanted wholeness. And I thought, look at, I've done an, enough bad shit in my life. I've owned all kinds of companies. I own condom companies. I owned, I owned all different kinds of businesses, movie business, all kinds of crazy shit. And yet nothing that has ever done anything really for people. So I said, this is what I want to do. I want to do this thing. And I want this thing to, even though it's going to be small, I want it to change the world. I want to do it in a way that we're really good at it and that it really makes a difference and that, that has t these tangible results like it did in my life. So this is what was interesting. I said, the next day, uh, um, the guy that ran the place the, the, uh, was expensive. It was like 15 grand for me to go to this place. It was a shithole. And uh, he said, what would you have paid for it now? And I said, everything that I had. You know, the next day, I would, if I knew... The Iboga Center. Yeah, what it would that it could change my life that much. I was in such desperation that I would have paid everything. So I thought that's a business that I want to be in. One and so here we're one third of that, and we're we're actually at a nice, clean, beautiful little place that does everything right with doctors and nurses and therapists and the best farm to table organic food and like great chef and like you know uh, massage and this cleanse, this crazy colonic cleanse, like all different kinds of things we put together in one thing, Shiva Ray Yoga, like to, to really do this so that somebody comes in and then seven days later they're a different person and they actually take that happiness. And that's all this is about. This is not about uh, being a spiritual thought leader, or this or that. This is just getting fucking people happy and then sending them back in the world. And you, you get someone happy, and get them back in the world, guess what? They tend to do good shit. <laughs> they yeah. tend to do good shit and they're happy. Yeah, the efficacy of this program is one thing that has been blowing my mind. I am here because I was hired as a cameraman yes. to shoot something and then yeah. uh, to shoot a piece and then uh, have clearly been taking advantage of some of the amenities <laughs> in the past few days. Yeah. And the uh, emotional giveaway that happened for me when I was doing the breath work a couple nights ago. Um, I recommend anyone listening to this episode, go back and, and listen to the one on breath work, um, was on the level of nothing I've ever experienced before. Yeah. And, um, that is what interests, interests me so much about these programs that you have is the efficacy is that you can get 
decades of therapy done in a couple of nights. It's the truth. It really is the truth. Yeah. Uh, that, it, <laughs> that's crazy, right? It's that crazy. I'm going to tell you something. The Dr. Jeff, right? He yeah. devoted his life to this shit, right? To, to, you know, borderline personality disorder and addictions. And I think that guy was in school for 27 years. It's a long time to be in school. And, and the week that I did this thing, the next week I got home and he looked at me and he goes, dude, you're different. You could just look at me and see that I was different. Like, like, I don't want to get spiritual, but like a demon had left me. I'm, I look like a I'm ready dude. for it. We can go down these roads. <laughs> I look like a different guy. My yeah. kids are, I said, Jeff, come with me to Costa Rica. And the next morning we did it and we came down and we did it again. And I did it with him and he had the craziest ass night. And the next morning I said, I said, why are you crying? And he said, cause all that school ain't worth shit is what he said to me <laughs> that, that, that I just went to school for 27 years for fucking nothing. Cause this thing does it in one night. And I'm like, well, I said, well, listen, and I hired him to, right then. The second time I did a boga, I knew that I was going to do this and I hired him then I said, come on. Let's do this together and, and come and make a place. And that's what we did. One thing that has stood out to me about this spot is how thoughtfully put together it is. Yeah. Um, and I didn't, <laughs> I didn't fully realize it until I went on my ayahuasca journey. And I, <laughs> it was very mellow the whole yeah. time. It, I was, I was able to walk around. I took a little walk outside. I looked at the trees, looked down on the pathway, and. I was looking around, really enjoying myself, thinking, this place is so well facilitated for an experience like this. Yeah. The simplicity of it. Mm-hmm. Um, how flat it is. How flat that. it is. Yeah. is was put together in a very thoughtful way. Yeah. Um, and I'm guessing these were all conscious decisions by yes, you. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Did you have a vision of this place coming together through... A psychedelic journey or was yeah. or was it more I'm gonna get even crazier. All right, let's do it. The aboga told us what building to buy, what to pay for it, how to structure the thing. And that and that case, it's crazy shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely told us what to do. And yeah. did you write all this down in a journal? Was this uh or on the recorder? I have uh it's recorded but then it's transcribed. I have about I have a total right now of hundred and seventy one journeys that have been transcribed. It's about 800 pages. This, uh, this book that I have that, uh, that has each journey that I took on each different medicine. And the first 45 were on aboga. And the crazy thing was that was all over cause it's only 450 questions, how to structure this business so that it had the greatest impact on people. It told us what type of yoga to use, like what kind of food to serve? What da da da? Every single are thing. these specific questions that you would ask during? Absolutely, yeah. I'd during say, the yeah uh, journeys, they'd be written down, and I'd say you know because I'd write them, I think about them. I can only do ten at a time, so I'd think about them for a long time and say this is an important question. Like you know, uh, what kind of food should we serve? Da da da. Should it be buffet or a la carte? Like all kinds of crazy <laughs> stuff, right? And it would answer. Should each we one. let Kyle come back? <laughs> 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 uh, um, and then how did you, um, get a license to, uh, give ayahuasca? That's a crazy story too. We applied and that was the, the craziest thing is that I thought, you know, I had bought the building, bought this place, uh, started the renovations, da, 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 da. 
we actually opened up with a BOGO without a license. We got shut down by the government here. We, we were told that it would be okay, and apparently it wasn't. And I said, went on a journey. I said, BOGO, what should we do? It's The BOGO said, use ayahuasca. I said, well, how can we use it? So go apply for a license. I said, that doesn't even make sense. They're, they're mad at us. Da, 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 da. Like, it doesn't make sense. Is Who it, is mad? Who is the governmental agency? Ministry of Health. Elizabeth. Of Costa Rica. Yeah. Okay. And uh, so we did. We applied. A year later, took a, a year of talking and explaining and getting the the business uh, licensed as a, basically a hospital. And uh, went through everything, created, you know, got an ICU together, did hired doctors, hired psychologists, psychiatrists, caseworkers, all kinds of stuff. And they issued us a license. We're the first licensed ayahuasca center in the world. And there's never been a, and in Peru, they're legal. It's legal, but it's never provisioned. We're the first licensed one in the world. Wow. Yeah. How uh, do you see this as a model that will spread or do you, s- hope. Do you see it as that you were able to get through somehow? Yeah. And that's, that's wild um, I hope that you're able to, to make that happen. And you know, like <laughs> this is a funny joke, but Costa Rica is the Switzerland of Latin America. Right. So like there's, there's, there are governments that, that are, Logical, and I think they're like Canada, New Zealand. They're they're where they're a little bit forward thinking and and not as crazy from a, a governmental standpoint, from a regulatory standpoint. That I think would look at the history of what happened here, and that that history would carry some weight with uh, probably Australia, New Zealand, Ireland, uh, Canada. And, and you know that that then show them this is what happened and that there were no fatalities and yeah you know, we, we have a tremendously high satisfaction rate higher than any business I've ever seen right in a, and yeah what's the return rate on people who come here uh, about about half come back and this is we've only been open a year and three months and we've already had a 50% repeat it might be 90 or you know I, I can't project into the right. future but my gut is telling me it's almost a hundred percent. So, so that's over a period of let's say three or four years. Uh, but it, go, but you're st- you're still not able to uh, use iboga hair. No, and uh, that's probably a good thing. And I, I want to tell you why because iboga uh, has the it's one of the most important great medicines in the world. But if administered to the masses. It will have, uh, it'll cause death in some people. Yeah. Now there are those that believe that that's a fair trade, that it does so much good, that that as they look at it like an actuary and say, well, those people, you know, super spiritual people that are making these these uh, are saying these things, saying, well, that was intended and this and that and this, and that could be true, but it's just from a governmental standpoint, it's not a medicine that that uh it might not mix well with a woman who wants to get over a divorce that she absolutely. had <laughs> and someone who's a full-blown heroin addict junkie staying be, in staying in the room next to, to her it'd be hard to mix those two right you know and and not only that but uh 
from a governing standpoint, you, you, you wouldn't really want to expose the whole population to that. Yes. You might like segment a part and say, okay, we'll try it in a clinical trial here or something like that. And I love the medicine. Don't get me wrong. I, I would give my right arm for a boga. It's a plant that saved my life and it will save so many people's lives. Uh, I think that there's ways to do that plant and like that there's great shaman in Africa uh, who specialize in doing that plant that, that, you know, have a greater understanding of it than, than we ever could. And that one's best left to, to, to people who really know what they're doing and, uh, I have no interest in doing a boga. <laughs> let me tell you that. We're not that place. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Um, one thing that you said earlier that, that really stuck out to me that I want to learn a little bit more about is your, um, idea that we are not broken because, mm-hmm. and that we are not enough and ayahuasca is making us whole because uh-huh. I do believe that I mean, one of one of the big insights that I gained from my journey it was that feeling of enough yeah um, and I didn't expect this to happen at all but uh, I one of my intentions going into the journey was I want to be shown the best version of myself and uh-huh. learn what it's going to what's in the way of that? Uh-huh. What is in the way Beautiful of that? Way of doing it. And yeah. I want to have those lessons to be shown to me in a compassionate way. Yep. Right. All Beautiful. of that happened. But one thing that I didn't realize was, um, that I've, I've gained a convoluted relationship with the ocean, um, that I didn't really know that I had on a conscious level. Um, uh, I love the ocean. I am yeah. a water person through yes. and through, but because it's become such a big part of my career, um, doing short documentaries on ocean issues, um, traveling around the world, surfing. Um, I've attached a, a lot of my identity to being an ocean person. And as a result, it has um, created a bit of a neurotic relationship with it where I will get into the water. And in the past, there would be this flurry of thoughts of not feeling like I was enough, not feeling like I was a good enough surfer, not feeling like I was good enough to be in a public place talking about it. In a, uh-huh. Right. And one of the um, insights that I gained was that conversation with myself of that you need to start enjoying the ocean right now and you need to stop comparing yourself to other people while you're in the ocean and you need to experience that awe again. And I can say that in the surf sessions that I've had since then, yeah. I've really <laughs> been enjoying myself. Yeah. And it's right. a feeling that, yeah. that, um, a feeling of calm that so far has stuck with me. Um, but I wanted to get your thoughts on, um, how you say we are supposed to leave that form of ourselves. Um, because I, I do, I think that the frame of that I'm fucked up, I'm not enough. And that now I, now I am, uh-huh. um, is, yeah, it's something that I just, I want to hear your, your perspective on a little bit more. Cause it does seem like a healthy perspective, um, to go at it in a way of that we are supposed to leave ourselves. Yeah. Like Tell me about the it. thing is, if you take a look at yourself and whatever you see yourself as, and, and something happened in your life that you perceived it was no longer safe to be you and you left to create something else to, to be a different version of you. And 
on ayahuasca, right, you get the full vision that, that what you were, what you left, was enough to start with. That's the, that's the, the thing that there was, that it was always enough. And then you have this great forgiveness for what you've become, this great forgiveness that you could never get. You could never get that forgiveness because you couldn't, uh, you couldn't slice it in a way that put you in a position that you would have compassion, enough compassion to swallow that. And all of a sudden, boom, it's so simple that, that you're enough to start. And poor me, I went out and became this whole other person and I left a perfectly good me behind. What a fool, you know, but it's almost funny. And of course I feel bad for me. Look at me and then you forgive it. And then all of a sudden you, when you remerge and you're saying, okay, now all this, what I've become has to fit into this other thing, this soul. I'm inviting back in my life, this soul, and I'm going to honor my soul by listening to it. That's all it's asking is to be listened to. And then when you do that, you, you, you sort of have this, this, this man in our case that, that has gone through so much and has gained so much knowledge and now re-injected their soul into their life. And you really have a feeling of wholeness that, that, that you're enough and you're enough for almost everything. As a matter of fact, some people will say everything, even death, you're enough to die. That's crazy statement but 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 when you see it oh yeah i, I can realness see, in it, right? i can see the value of these psychedelics um for people who are on an end of life my God. journey Ooh. to be able to greet death um a different way in a different way um and a, a more um graceful way and a very loving like when you get the feeling of love and you're like wow you know like this whole thing, and that's the, I think it's a great thing for people, anybody who's doing anything physically, uh, physical, anybody in any physical work, that that their whole life uh, was a flight from death. Like, if you live your life in complete fear of death, it's going to have a different outcome than if you live your life if you're not at all afraid of death. Yeah. It's going to have a completely different thing. It's the elephant in the room in the Western culture is is. that we never think we're going to die. And we we never want to bring it up. Oh, you want to bring it up. Yeah. And when our, when people get old, we put them in a box in the different room so that we don't see it. We don't see their skin get saggy. We don't see them forget shit. We don't see them. Basically, we don't want to watch people die. And we don't even let them kill themselves if they I want know. to. <laughs> it's crazy. That is right? one of the great ethical um, issues that I have. I think about it today. a lot myself. Yeah. And I, I think that in the future, um, we will be judged very harshly. I believe so too. Because um, there's such dignity in that in so many different ways, you know? Yeah. So many different ways. Um, I want to wrap up soon, but... Uh, is there a story that you that comes to mind for you of a patient who has come to this center in the last year um, mm-hmm. who had um, a shift that was profound and that uh, you think so, I'm sure there are so, so many. I'm sure there are so I, many, but is there is there one that I tell you, you want to leave with? An interesting one is that, and this is how crazy the power of the medicine. So, so. What when two two of the intentions I set people up with are show me who I've become, 
And because by showing you who you become, the contrast of that is who you were in your wholeness, right? And so it gets you get to see both sides of that and then to merge me back with my soul at all cost. So this lady is a psychologist and a, a New York Times bestselling author. And she was here and she uh, went through the thing and honored those intentions. And she went all the way back to her birth. And in her birth, uh, her mom didn't want her. And, and it was a really hard time, but she got to feel why she didn't want her. And, and it wasn't as selfish as, as it, it seemed. Her mother had uh, some psychological issues and didn't want the baby to experience those same issues. There was more to it than what she thought. So it was actually from love. And during the, the, the birth, uh, a midwife grabbed her throat and, and something happened to her vocal cords and she believed that that grabbing of the throat it was very traumatic to her in her birth uh, is why she couldn't sing her whole life and she's 62 and so, <laughs> this is crazy but true so uh, three days later after this journey uh, she's singing here she's never sang in her life she has a beautiful voice and and it's because she went back in with the medicine and healed the part of her. It wasn't in her throat. It was in her mind. She couldn't sing because, because that feeling of being un, unwanted was marked by that grabbing of the throat, which created the bad voice for 60-some years, and to have it. And she's a beautiful voice, and she just wrote me a letter. She's still singing today. She's singing everywhere. That's crazy, but that's how this stuff works. It's, it's just amazing stuff. Jerry, thank you for taking the time to sit down, and thank you for the work that you're doing. Oh, listen, thank you so much for having me. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Thank you so much. This may happen again soon. I hope so. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. Hope you enjoyed that episode. If you got feedback for me, head over to my website, kyle.surf. Later this week, I'm coming out with an episode with professional big wave surfer, stand-up paddler, ocean extraordinaire, Kai Lenny. I'm really looking forward to releasing that one. And before you go, I hope that you take a minute to just exhale, relax, and listen to this song, Salty Water, by a local group called The Getaway Dogs. Well, I just want to sit you down and tell you everything Yeah.